Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Father, we want to thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord, your love. May we never take these things for granted, Lord God. May every day that we wake up, may we not forget that it's because of your mercy, Lord, that we can get out of bed. It's because of your love and grace that our, our cells are held together, Lord God. That every day is an intentional blessing from you. May we not take that for granted either. And may we utilize the time that you've given us on earth to be effective for your kingdom, to be effective in walking in faith. Lord God, to investing in heaven and to loving the people around us. So once again, we look to your word to learn how that's done tonight, Lord God. So we pray your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that you'd guide and direct us as we look at these passages. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So tonight's message is let's get focused, because I think we need to get focused. Let's get focused. Let's really refocus ourselves on the important things. Last year for my birthday, um, speaking about important things, got a birthday coming up. No, I'm just kidding. Last year for my birthday, I got a, a, some, a pair of binoculars. I got some Vortex hunting binoculars. They're pretty sweet. I'm not going to lie. They have a really good range of vision, which is good for hunting. So which, it, it means you don't have to adjust too much. You can kind of leave it midway and you can see fairly far away and still fairly close, which is really important when you're hunting. When you, want, you want a good field of vision when you're spotting and stalking. Uh, those of you who've worked with any type of lens, be it camera or telescope or even just on your phone, you realize how uh, the focus can be adjusted to zoom in something close or to zoom into something far away. And depending on how it's adjusted, if it's to one extreme or another, it can really limit your field of vision, can't it? Like if you're trying to take a picture of an up-close flower and then all of a sudden you're trying to shoot something far away, it just doesn't work. You're out of focus. Uh, your, Your focus needs to be adjusted And there are things right now in life that can cause us to crank our focus in one direction or another to one extreme or another, and we end up losing sight of the overall field of vision. And guys, we've been just berated with issue after issue that can cause us to crank our focus in life, the past couple of years especially, right? And I think perhaps some of us, maybe all of us to a degree, have reached a place where we've lost sight of the main objective at one time or another. And so the message tonight is meant to help us refocus our sight as the church so we can clearly see where we're supposed to be going, so we can be reminded about what our mission is here, what we need to keep as the main thing, as the main focus, right? So Luke chapter 6 is where we're going to start. Jesus talks about this, about having focus and about vision, in verse, starting in verse 39 if you're there. Jesus says, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? So this very basic, very obvious principle Jesus uses several times in his teachings, and that is if you want to go in the right direction, if you want to walk the right path and not fall into a ditch, if you want to head to your your intended destination, you have to see where you're going. You have to be able to see the path that is before you. In Matthew Jesus talks about this, he says the same thing, only he says the example of those who are blind leading the blind are the Pharisees, the Pharisees of Jesus' day. 
These were the spiritual leaders of Jesus' day. At least they were meant to be. Jesus said that they sat in the seat of Moses. So to a degree, they had the ability to lead spiritually, but they were largely hindered in their ability to do that, to actually lead people into a relationship with God. Why? Because they were out of focus. In fact, they were focused, hyper-focused on the wrong things. Their own personal security, their own financial security, the security of the nation of Israel and the side of Rome. They had a lot of priorities that were out of line and it caused them to be blind leaders of the blind. The focus and emphasis on the wrong things made the Pharisees blind leaders. And so we need to be careful. If we are to be disciples that effectively carry out our mission, we have to be able to see clearly which means we have to, unlike the Pharisees, we have to be focused on the right things. We can't allow the major issues of our day, as important as they are, to hijack our focus, to get us off track of what our ultimate purpose is as disciples of Christ. Now, that's not to say that we don't engage in the issues of our day, because I believe we should. And if you've been following my teachings any time the last 12 months, you, you know that we need to engage in, in the issues of our day. However, we need to keep proper focus as we engage. And that's, that's what I'm talking about tonight. As we get ourselves involved in the, in the very important issues of our day, that we, that we continue to keep the main thing the main thing. He goes on to say in verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So he's saying, look, don't be like the Pharisees if you want to keep focus. If you want to actually see the path before you and go where you need to be. If you want to have a, be, be a leader with vision and focus, knowing what you need to do, then follow my lead. You're not above me. I'm your example, Jesus is saying. Therefore, do what I do. Follow my lead. Of course, what would Jesus do, right? That's the popular thing from the 90s that everybody in junior high, we all had our wristband, our WWJD wristbands. I wasn't even a Christian at the time, but for whatever reason, it was a cool thing to have. Um, WWJD. Now, a lot of people have this misconception about WWJD and about who Jesus was. In fact, a lot of people think that if we are to follow Jesus and emulate Jesus, it means that you never offend anyone, ever. It means that you don't make waves, it means that you don't do anything that might be perceived as rude, right? Isn't that the common misconception of what would Jesus do, huh? But that's not Jesus' life at all. If you follow the life of Christ, in fact, it was quite the contrary. That's not how Jesus operated. That is how non-confrontational people operate. Like, I don't want to, just, just no confrontation. But guess what? Jesus was not a non-confrontational individual. He was not afraid of confrontation. That's how salesmen act. Oh, I don't want to make waves. I'm, you know, I'm really trying to sell, get, earn your favor. I want to impress you. Jesus wasn't a salesman either. You see, Jesus did things and said things that would have shocked us. It's true that, that Jesus was gentle, humble, lowly in heart. It's true that if we were to have met him on numerous occasions, he would have been a sweet man. And he would have touched your heart in that regard. He was gracious and kind to those who needed it, but Jesus was also harsh and abrasive to those who needed it. Even rude sometimes. I mean, let's be real. If we look at the scriptures, I mean, he, he went to heal a guy and he spit in his face. 
He, he called a Gentile woman a dog. And we try to explain that away when we teach that passage. Well, <clears throat> you see the dog. He didn't really mean dog. It meant puppy. And puppies are cute. And we like puppies. And, you know, <laughs> pastors try to, like, explain it away. But if we were to be there in person when Jesus did some of the things he did, we would have been shocked and confused like the rest of them. And the reason is because Jesus' objective wasn't to be nice. Nor was it to be shocking or rude, for that matter. That wasn't his objective either. His objective was to do the will of the Father 100% of the time. And he did it. Jesus always knew exactly what to say. That is unique. Nobody on earth has ever known exactly the right thing to say. We, We often have times where we have to say something, especially as a pastor, it's like the week rolls around, okay, Thursday's coming, I, gotta, I have to say something. You know, I, gotta ha- I, have, I have to have a half hour to say, and luckily I have a lot to say. Uh, many of you guys say amen. I know that, Sean. <laughs> Long-winded. Um, however, Jesus never had to say something, but he was a man who always had something to say. He always had the right thing to say. And so he could go up to a Gentile woman and know that playing into her maybe the insecurities of how she was perceived by Jews would actually give her an opportunity to exhibit faith in her heart. He knew that spitting in this guy's face in in this shocking moment was what this person needed to to maybe go wash his face off and receive his sight and believe in Christ. He knew that that rich young ruler needed to have his idolatry of his own riches exposed. So he said something shocking like, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then follow me. He knew exactly what to say all the time. So Jesus says, if you want to keep your focus, be like me. That's it. That's all you have to do is just be exactly like Jesus. Right? Easier said than done. Obviously, it was easy for Jesus because he was the son of God. He was able to do that. It's not so easy for us. That's why it's wise, guys, by the way, to err on the side of kindness. Err on the side of grace. I'd rather be too gracious than to be too harsh. Um, However, Jesus has left us with the example of his life found in the pages of Scripture. So we can follow Jesus. And more than that, Jesus has given us a clear objective, which we're going to talk about in just a moment here. Verse 41, he goes on to say, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, Let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now, of course, this pertains to all forms of hypocrisy. It most of all uh, pertains to like the self-righteous. They think they're better spiritually when they have this serious issue like the Pharisees did, but this also pertains to our ability to keep focus on the right things. You see, one way to keep focus is to emulate Jesus, but the other way that we need to keep focus is to be aware that our own personal vision can be hindered without us knowing it, that we need to address that and correct that first. In other words, you might get into an argument with somebody of a differing opinion, of differing views, And they might, guys, they might be totally wrong. You might be totally justified in calling them out on on what you're arguing with them about. Um, They might have a real chunk of plank in their own eye, for that matter. 
But unless your eyes are where they should be, you're not going to be able to address the issue properly. And that's what Jesus is getting at. Yeah, they might have a speck in their eye, but you've got something in your eye that, that will hinder your ability to help them in the way that you think you're helping them. Jesus is saying, look, before you get into that argument, make sure your focus is where it needs to be. Because if you argue out of, from an out-of-focus point of view, if you've lost sight of the main call as a disciple of Christ, and here you are championing some issue, arguing with somebody, you may do more damage than good. And we'll get more into that. So as we seek to refocus, we're going to look at three things that will help us to refocus, okay? Number one, our main objective. What is our mission? What is the primary purpose as a disciple here on earth? We're going to look at that. Number two, we're going to look at who our enemy is. Who is our actual enemy and how do we fight them? And then thirdly, we're going to look at the strategy. How do we accomplish our objective? How do we bring to fruition what God has called us to do while we're here on earth. So number one, our objective. What is it? What is our goal? What is our aim as true followers of Christ? Well, we get our marching orders from the Lord in Matthew 28, which is why I had you turn there. So if you want to get uh, flip over to Matthew 28, we get it from a, a few other places as well, and it's known as the Great Commission. The Great Commission. This is our marching orders from our, from our Lord, our Savior, from our commanding officer. And it's been noted, tongue-in-cheek, that it's not known as the great omission. And I think we should realize that at first, right? Because that can be one area in which we can get off-focused, and that is we become overly obsessed with the things we don't do as a Christian that we forget to do the things that we're supposed to do as a Christian. And it's been said a lot, right? But I think it bears repeating that. As Christians, may we not only be known for the things that we're against, May we be known for the things that we are for. May we not just be known for the things that we refrain from doing. May we be known for the things that we actually do. The ways in which we impact society with our actions. May we be known by our actions of love. So Matthew 28, the Great Commission, this is from Jesus himself. It says in verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's it. That was Jesus' final command to his disciples before he ascended. That was what they were supposed to do. That was what the next generation was supposed to do up until our generation and beyond until the Lord comes. That is Jesus' marching orders. Make disciples. That's it. Make disciples. That's the main thing. That is our objective. The reason we are still on this earth, guys, is because is in order to make disciples. Second Peter chapter 3 tells us that God is not slack concerning his promise to return. He's not lazy about his promise to return, but he's patient. He's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So what this tells us is that while we're waiting, we're saved already. Why doesn't God take us to heaven? Why doesn't God deliver us from the difficulties of this life? Why not, when a person gets saved, take them right away? Why has God waited so long to return? It's not because He's lazy. It's because He's patient. Not willing that any would perish. So in other words, we are waiting, God is waiting, so that more people would get saved. 
He's waiting so that the Great Commission can be fulfilled. And guess what the primary, who the primary vessel is to bring about salvation on earth? It's the church. It's you. It's me. Obviously, we don't save. Christ saves. But we are the primary deliverers of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't ask me why. He could, he could have done it by himself and done a great, much better job than we can. He could have sent his angels to do it, which he will, by the way, in Revelation, send his angels to pre- proclaim the gospel. But in the church age, he's chosen to use us. Isn't that amazing? So we are here, still on earth, to fulfill the Great Commission, and that is making disciples. Which means, guys, you are not here to get rich. You are not here to have a successful career. We are not here, contrary to many preachers in America, to be prosperous and have a better life today, better life now. That's not why we're here. Okay? You are not here to take over the world. The church is not here to take over governments and run the world. And I don't know if you know that. There's a, there's a sect of Christians who believe, as Christians, our job is to over, overrun the political offices and take over the world. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's not bad to be wealthy. God calls some to be wealthy for the sake of the kingdom. God calls some to positions of prominence and power within politics. And I'm thankful. And we should pray for Christian leaders. We should. That's a good thing. But guys, these are, this, these are not the primary reasons that we are on earth. Everybody, every disciple of Christ, the ultimate question they should be asking is, how can I use my position, my calling, my resources to make more disciples? How can I use my position in the place God has put me in to, to fulfill the Great Commission? This hopefully is allowing you to see your position now with more focus, with more focus, with what you're supposed to do. As I said, guys, we're facing some hard issues today. You know, and it, as Christians, we should be involved. As Christians, we should not be those who sulk back into silence and disengage. In fact, the Proverbs talk about the fool has nothing to say in the gate of the city. But the wise do. The wise are among those at the gate, and we have something to say. Christians should bring the biblical principles to the city gate and have something to say about the issues that we're facing. It's important. The battle against abortion, guys. Christians should be spearheading the fight that is attacking the sanctity of life. Christians should be spearheading that. Issues of government... Christians should be involved. Guys, think about this. Christians should be the first to to stand up and uphold the authority that God has granted the government. Okay? Like, the respect God has granted the government. As Christians, we should uphold that. On the other side of that coin, Christians should be first to draw the hard line when government transgresses the authority God has given them. And I could get into this tonight. A ton. Because in our day and age, the government has transgressed the limits that God has placed on their authority. And as Christians, uh, and I'm not, I'm not saying, okay, I'm just going to talk about it. I don't care. I'm just going to talk about it. This vaccine, one way, however you feel about the vaccine, just forget, just forget it. Let's, let's pretend it's not even talking about the vaccine. Let's just look at what the government is doing by mandating. 
Pretend they're not asking you to take a vaccine, which you could have had it or you might not. I, I'm, I'm indifferent. I, you have the ability to make that decision. And I'm not, I'm not trying to discourage you one way or the other as your pastor. But let's pretend it was Tylenol. Okay, because nobody has it. Hardly, some, maybe some people have issues with Tylenol. Let's say the government was mandating you to take Tylenol every day. That is an overreach of the government's authority. The government is not your physician, for one. Your, your employer is not your physician. And they don't have the authority by God and His design to determine what your family does medically. Because today, they're forcing you to take Tylenol, right? We're just using that as an example. Tomorrow, they're telling you how many kids you can have. Do you see how it, it might not be as extreme of a, of a mandate, but it's just as much of a transgression of their authority? On the other hand, when the government is doing what they're supposed to be doing, Christian, we should uphold the respect for our government. And there are, there are a lot of crazy, wacky, right-wing people who uh, have declared war on our existing government and who worship another politician, I'll just say, as the Messiah, and it's crazy. And you, may you not be counted among them. May we be those who pray for our existing leaders, whether we agree with them or not. But at the same time, understand the lines that God has drawn. So this is an issue, obviously, that I've, I've just engaged in. I've just engaged in this big political issue. And our priority as we engage in this should not be pulled away from making disciples. Your priority in talking about what healthy government looks like should not transgress your ability to make a disciple out of somebody or to pray that our government becomes disciples of Christ. Right? We should pray for our existing leaders. Maybe God would open their eyes to the truth of Jesus Christ. How amazing would that be? But all these issues, poverty, racism, immigration, we should have Christians working on all of these issues, but at the end of the day, all of these issues are mere symptoms of the ultimate problem. And the ultimate problem is sin. And the ultimate solution is the gospel. And we have that. That's why if anyone's wearing their ignition shirts, our ignition shirts say Jesus is still the answer. Right? Jesus is still the answer. Even with all the craziness today that we've seen in the last couple of years, Jesus is still the answer. He still is. And we need to keep that in mind. And this is why the Great Commission must be the center of everything that we do. In fact, I'll be even bolder. And I'll say that it's better to help save a person's soul. It's better to be a part of the work of salvation in someone's life than to even deliver them from poverty. Okay, God's, God's moral standard is a little different from eternity. From our earthly perspective, obviously we want to help people in poverty, but what I'm telling you is it's more valuable to help someone's soul become saved. You remember Lazarus and the rich man? Lazarus lived a life in poverty, oppressed, but Lazarus ended up in heaven. The rich man had everything he could ever want. His needs were taken care of, but he did not end up in heaven. It's more valuable to work for the salvation of souls. It's more important to work the Great Commission and to make disciples of Christ. And of course, that's why I'm a pastor. I mean, you're saying, yeah, Sean, that's easy for you. 
Like you're, you're a teacher, a preacher, a pastor. Yeah, I am a pastor because I believe it's the greatest work that one could ever invest in with their lives is the, is the work of salvation, is the spiritual and eternal work because the work that you do for the kingdom of heaven lasts forever, lasts forever. The Great Commission, the salvation of souls, that's our main objective. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here. You've been listening to a teaching from Ignition Tucson, the Young Adults Ministry of Calvary Tucson. Our hope is that through this ministry, your heart would be ignited to live boldly for Christ. If you live in the greater Tucson area and you're between the ages of 18 and 28, we want to invite you out to join us in person. We meet every Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Tucson's East Campus on Speedway and Camino Seco. We hope to see you there. God bless.